We like to think that we live in a free society, that we're free to do as we please. We're free to make our own choices. We're free to do what we want, all within good reason, of course. We can be whatever we want to be. And we hear stories of folks who do it by pure grit, that they have made something of themselves. There's a story of a kid who walked three miles every day to the library to get himself an education. Or athletes who fight through adversity again and again only to succeed in their, to excel in their sport. There is an article written last fall about a football player who kept getting set back from his career with cancer. But last year he was finally able to suit up and play for the University of Minnesota. Even if it was just as a placeholder for the kicker. But that was a huge deal for him. I just saw a headline recently a couple of weeks ago saying that this kid has kicked cancer yet again. These stories inspire us. They make us think that we can do anything, but the truth is we aren't that free. The American Civil War was supposed to bring an end to slavery. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Though it certainly stained American history, slavery isn't a uniquely American problem. It's a problem for all mankind. Slavery still exists. Some might say that it's different than 160 years ago, but it isn't. If you're only looking or thinking of racial slavery, then yes, it is different. But taking a broader view of slavery, it's not any different today than it was 160, 200 years ago. There are plenty of ugly ways that this slavery makes itself known. Racial slavery was just one manifestation of the evil of slavery. And with the North winning the Civil War, that helped to bring an end to that detestable practice. However, slavery hasn't gone away. Another form of slavery that's gotten a bit more press in recent years is sex trafficking. And though that isn't as easy to spot as racial slavery, it's just as evil and perhaps just as prominent, or maybe even more prominent. This issue of slavery is a global issue. It's an issue for all mankind. But it's a global issue because it extends even to creation itself. Creation itself is held in bondage. For all of you farmers who, I don't guess I don't know anything about farming, but if you've ever applied any herbicide or fungicide in the last, whenever you did, that's a proof that this world is still under slavery. For anyone who's ever stepped on a thistle, that's proof that this world is still under bondage. As evil as racial slavery and sex trafficking are, there's another slavery that's just as evil and that's far more prominent. It's harder to spot and we'll do just about anything to try to cover it up or to explain it away. Nobody really likes to acknowledge it, but it has to be acknowledged. It has to be acknowledged if we're ever going to work through it. I'll invite you to open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. So we read verses 30 through 36 and we'll see that Jesus acknowledges this slavery, but we also see that Jesus gives us a way to end it. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 30. And again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 30, reading through verse 36. Reading in Jesus' name. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning, Lord, that your word would do what it's designed to do in our hearts, minds, and our lives here today. We thank you again, Father, for giving us the opportunity and privilege to worship corporately again. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth today in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, that it would go forth from our lips as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, Jesus has just finished calling this crowd, these crowd of Jews, slaves. And they didn't take too kindly to that. And you can't blame them. Nobody likes to be called a slave. How would you appreciate it if I were to call you all slaves? Better yet, my slaves. Boy, that would be fun, wouldn't it? But they were adamant that they had never been slaves. They've never been slaved, enslaved to anyone. In verse 33, they look back at their family tree. And they say, we're descendants of Abraham. They point back to the one whom God has made all of those promises to, that his descendants would be a royal nation, that they would be a holy priesthood. They were God's own chosen people, and they thought that meant that God looked the other way while they sinned, that they could get away with whatever they wanted to. We've got the free pass. We're Abraham's descendants. Similar to the favoritism that we might see a teacher pouring out on one of their favorite students. Or we might see an, a coach pouring out on one of their favorite athletes. But there is no favoritism with God. Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. There's no getting around it with this crowd. Every single one of them had sinned. Jesus doesn't leave room for any exceptions. The sin that these Jews had committed condemned them to the eternal wrath of God. They didn't get a special pass just because they're related to Abraham. Each sin that they committed only further condemned them to God's wrath. There was no way getting around it. And there were no exceptions. There's no exceptions for us to this day either. God still plays no favorites. They were guilty. And everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. But the problem goes deeper yet. Their problem wasn't just the sins that they had committed. Their family tree doesn't start with Abraham. The roots go deeper than that. It starts with Adam. And as Adam took a bite of that forbidden fruit, that fruit that he was told not to touch, not to eat, sin entered the world and death came through sin. And death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul writes that for us down in Romans 5, and, and the scripture says right here that in Adam, every single person descended from Adam has sinned. Physical descendants of Abraham or not, they were descendants of Adam. And the sin that they inherited wasn't only Adam's sin, but it was also their sin. And every human being from that moment on would be marred by sin. Every human being from that moment on would be conceived in sin and born in sin. Born in sin, all except one, except for Christ. This is what Lutheran theologians refer to when they say original sin. They explain it in this way, that all men are full of evil lusts and inclinations from their mother's wombs and are unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. 
I'll read that again. All men are full of evil lust and inclinations from their mother's wombs and are unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. We're unable to. It's what theologians call original sin, and this original sin is truly sin. And this original sin condemns all people to the wrath of God, all people to the wrath of God. So here's what that means for us in practice. That the heart, the mind, and the will of the unborn human, unreborn human being is completely dead to the good. It's completely corrupted. That means that in this human nature, after the fall and before rebirth, there's not a spark of spiritual power left or present with which human beings can prepare themselves for the grace of God or accept grace as it is offered. Nor are they capable of acting in their own behalf or of applying this grace to themselves or to prepare themselves for it. Rather, they are the slave of sin and prisoners of the devil by whom they are driven out. And this here is just kind of a summary of what we talked about in Sunday school this morning a little bit. But whether or not we like this reality, it's reality. Whether or not we agree with this reality, this is what Scripture presents to us. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot respond to God's grace. And this is all because of original sin. You see how hopeless and helpless we are when we're left to ourselves. Apart from Jesus, we are all slaves of sin. And there is absolutely nothing that any one of us can do about that. We're slaves to sin because we sin. But we're also slaves to sin. Or we also sin because we're slaves to sin. It's kind of like that whole debate between what came first, the chicken and the egg, which shouldn't be a debate. Fry them both. All right, sorry. So now you know what you're going to have for lunch and supper today. All right, but, but in this case, though, we sin because we're slaves to sin. But we also are slaves to sin because we sin. They both go hand in hand. We're, we're lost. We don't have any hope left to ourselves. In this case, both original sin and actual sin, both of these things condemn us to the wrath of God. You see, we're not as free as we think we are. We like to think of ourselves as neutral. We like to think of ourselves as blank slates, empty canvases, someone that can maybe respond to the grace of God. But that's not the biblical picture that Scripture gives us. That's not what we are apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we are children of wrath. And that evil lust and inclinations that we have in our heart, those condemn us even from before we were born. We don't fear and love God as we should. And we are incapable of making ourselves acceptable to God or making ourselves alive. A dead person can't decide it's time to be alive again. A dead person can't do CPR on themselves again either. When you're dead, you're dead. You can't come to life when you're dead. We're spiritually dead. We are spiritually stillborn. Yet it's worse than that. Paul describes it as living in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Even though we're born spiritually dead, we still continue to choose deadness. Just look at how these Jews respond to Jesus' teaching at the end of chapter 8. The last verse of chapter 8 in verse 59, the Jews respond. What's their response to these things that Jesus says? 
they pick up stones to throw at him. They're going to throw stones at Jesus to kill him. Jesus is here saying, if, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And they say, ah, not today. I've got this stone and I'll shut you up. I'll show you how it's done. This is a great picture of our sinful nature. This is what our sinful nature does. It wants to silence Jesus at all costs, even if that means picking up our stones to throw at him. Whoever sins is a slave of sin. This is the ugly truth, and this slavery still exists. We need to be set free. When I play with my kids every once in a while, I, I wrap my arms around them, and they're stuck. And I tell them, okay, kids, what do you have to do? And they say, wiggle, wiggle, twist. And so they'll try to writhe and wiggle and twist and try to get out of my arms. Do you think that gets them free? That in and of itself doesn't, because I'm pretty strong. Okay, not that strong. But I'm stronger than a five-year-old for now, and I'm thankful for that. But I have to let them go. I have to release this, the hold that I have on them, the grip that I have on them, and then they can wriggle and free themselves. But I have to let them go. Sin doesn't loosen its grip on anyone, ever. It only ever further constricts its grip, its death hold on us. Have you ever tried to free yourself from sin before? Have you ever tried to go one day with not sinning? And I, I could say just one sin that you're trying to avoid, but from all sin completely. Have you ever tried to do that? Can you do that? Have you ever tried to fear and love God above all things? Everything that comes through your, your face that morning comes across your eyes. Now, do I fear and love God before I believe whatever message I'm told to believe right now? Do I fear and love God in my interactions with those who, come, uh, who I come across with today? We don't think about that all the time when we sin daily. You know, you may have your good stretches where whatever sin it is, it's on the forefront of your mind that you're struggling with. There may be good stretches where that sin doesn't bother you for a little while. But sooner or later, you're reminded just how enslaved you are to that sin when a thought enters into your mind and hijacks your reasoning. And you go ahead and give in to that sin once again, only to hate yourself for it afterwards. You can put sticky notes around the house warning you of what will what'll happen if you give in to this thing and reminding you not to do it. But a sticky note isn't going to cut it, is it? It doesn't. No matter how hard you try to rid yourself of your sin, you cannot do it. And the harder you try, the further you'll spiral down and down until eventually you'll find yourself at a crossroads of sorts and you ask yourself the question, what's the use of even trying? I've tried for so long, I've tried for so many years, and I always end up in the same place. What's the point? And finally, you realize that bondage for what it is. It's hopeless. And you start to believe the lies that your heart tells you, the lies that the devil tells you, that there is no hope. There is a solution, however. Look in verse 36. So if the Son makes you free... You will be free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The solution to our bondage to sin is Christ alone. Luther wrote on the solution to getting rid of our sin. He, he says this. He says, believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken away your sin, and your sins will be gone. If you do not get rid of your sins in this way, you will fall deeper into sin and into its clutches. 
Luther emphasizes the point that John writes in, in verse 31 and 32. It says, So Jesus was saying to these Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom from your sin, no matter how ugly this sin is, comes from faith in the Son of God. Jesus came to bring freedom from sin and death. He came to set us free. He came to set even these Jews who he knew was going to pick up stones to throw at him. He came to set them free. He came to set you free. The thought that they were free already. They thought that they were free already. But they weren't, were they? And there are plenty of people living today with the same false sense of freedom especially here in America, this free country, this wonderful country that we have the privilege of living in. And perhaps you're one of those people who thinks you're more free than you really are. And we define freedom as the ability to live as we please, the ability to do what we want and have no one else infringe upon my rights. But that isn't freedom. Freedom is only found in Christ and in Christ alone. And this freedom comes to us. Christ comes to us in his word and through his word. What, Jesus, what was Jesus doing in John chapter 8? What was he doing before the verses here that we see? Before the verses of our text that brought these people freedom. He's testifying of himself. He is telling these people who he is. He tells them in verse 24 that I said to you, you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am the son of God, that I am God, you will die in your sins. But if you believe that I am who I said I am, that I am the son of God, and if I set you free, then you will be free indeed. The only, place from, the only place freedom from sin is found is in Christ's death on the cross. And as the crowd listened to Jesus proclaim who he is and what he is going to do, chains are broken and these souls are being set free as many people came to believe in him. So it says in verse 30, Jesus makes you free and if he, the son of God who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, sets you free, you will be free indeed. What can possibly enslave you? Jesus gives these new believers some necessary encouragement in verses 31 and 32. That these new disciples must continue in his word. He recognizes that they already have his word now. That they already believe it. They're already holding fast to it. But they still need to continue. Or as other translations say, they need to abide in his word or remain in his word. Each one of these words recognizes a current possession, that this is your possession right now. This freedom in Christ isn't some elusive ideal to be chased after, but it's available for you now in Christ. It is always available in Christ. And Christ comes to us through his word. Lenski describes the word as the vehicle of Jesus bringing him to us and bringing us to him. God works through his word. He releases our chains and our bondage through his word. If we desire to be free, we need to continue to hear that word of God. We need to learn it. We need to believe it. We need to trust it and hold fast to it. So how is this done? How do we remain in God's word? How do we continue in God's word lest we fall back again, go back to these chains They're just dying to shackle us up again. 
There are plenty of places to go for application, but probably the best place for us to go is the congregation. Because it's there in the congregation that you find the body of Christ. It's there in the congregation that you find the pure, spotless, and redeemed bride of Christ. It's there in the congregation that the means of grace are present, that God's word is proclaimed to you, the sacraments are administered, and more vehicles of Jesus are put into practice, so to speak. The ways that God has promised to deliver his grace. One pastor has summarized the Christian life as hearing the voice of Jesus, continuing to hear the voice of Jesus. And after you've been set free, you have the ability now to make that choice. Will I hear the voice of Jesus? Or will I say, no, Jesus, not today. I'm too busy. I've got other things going on. Do we choose our slavery over freedom? More often than not, we go back to those chains, don't we? Now, this voice of Jesus isn't an audible voice coming down from heaven, booming into our ears that we can actually hear. But this voice of Jesus is found in his word. And as we hear the word of God, we are hearing that voice of Jesus And he calls us to believe it and to live our lives according to it. We are brought to freedom by Jesus and we are also kept free by Jesus. We'll continue to try to change our behavior and to avoid our sin, but that in and of itself will never free you. And that in and of itself will never keep you free because freedom doesn't come from our actions or our responses. Freedom is only ever found in Christ Jesus. When the Apostle Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, was wrestling with sin, sin that he couldn't rid himself of, and he had tried and tried and tried to get rid of it. Eventually, he comes to a point of despair, and he cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul can't do it. The Apostle Paul himself is unable to set himself free from from sin. And if Paul can't do it, who am I to think that I can do it? But he writes down the answer for us, the answer for Paul and the answer for you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is freedom from sin. This is the freedom that comes from knowing the truth. And knowing that Jesus sets us free, knowing that Jesus has taken away our sin, that Christ himself has satisfied the wrath of God in our place, and he's given to us his perfect righteousness. We aren't holy by our works, but we're holy by Christ's work. And Christ's work of taking our sin upon himself and giving to you his righteousness. The issue of freedom boils down to Jesus to Christ alone. Jesus promises in verse 32 that as we continue in the word of God that we truly are disciples and we will know the truth and we'll experience that truth as we live freely, as we're forgiven by Christ and as we're made holy by Christ. But Jesus goes further yet in verse 35. Look at what Jesus says. Look at the contrast that he makes in verse 35. He doesn't say, so you'll be a slave and then you no longer will be your slave. You'll get your emancipation papers and you can go do whatever you want. What does he separate or contrast slave with? Son. They're entirely different. 
A slave is not a son. A slave has no ownership. A slave has no rights. A slave has no inheritance in this house of his master. But a son, a son owns the house. It's his house. This inheritance is the son's. It belongs to the son. All things belong to him. It's his own house. He will forever be a son. And not even death will change that relationship from him. And as great as it is to simply be free from the bondage of sin, how much greater is it to be a son of God? This is what Christ offers to us in this freedom. Freedom, but also new life, and also new identity and a new family. We are brought into the family of God by grace through faith. And we are brought in by believing that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken away our sin, that it's dealt with. And our sins are gone. We're brought in by being born again through this new birth, having been justified by faith in Christ. Freedom isn't found in connection with Abraham's lineage. It never was. It isn't found in connection with Adam's lineage either. It never will be. Freedom is only ever found in connection with Christ. The evil of slavery still exists today. And it lurks silently beneath the surface in every human being. And as believers, we have the opportunity to declare the truth that sets people free. The truth that Jesus is the Christ who has come to set us free. To set us free. And he sets us free to become his vehicles. To proclaim his word. To proclaim this freedom to those who are still enslaved. And for some reason, God has seen it fit to use us to release these chains of bondage to those, or for those around us. Though slavery still exists, the good news of Jesus Christ is still setting people free. Praise be to God and amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you for your word and for its truth. We thank you that your truth sets people free. And Lord, we pray that that truth would set us free here this morning. And Lord, that as we are set free, that you would help us to set others free by proclaiming what you have done for them, proclaiming your love for them, Lord, proclaiming your finished work for them, proclaiming this new identity that you give us by grace and through faith. We pray for all of those, Lord, who are still choosing to be bound by their chains. We pray, Father, that your word would speak to them and that you would create faith in their hearts and their lives, that they too would be saved, that they would come to this freedom found in you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen.